Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Hope everybody had a restful bye week as we return to normal scheduling with the Giants now preparing to host the Houston Texans in Week 10. We will get into that. We'll get into some of the latest team news as we move along here over the next 60 minutes in multiple ways. You can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So initially, Paul and I were going to go over maybe some midseason awards. We were going to look ahead to the second half of the season, give you some thoughts on what transpired in week number nine in the NFL, which will wrap up tonight with Monday Night Football between the Ravens and the Saints. But little did we know, some news broke right before we were about to start the program. So let's start right there, Paul, and not the news that you want coming out of the bye week, but Xavier McKinney did tweet out the following, quote, during our bye week, I went away to Cabo. While there, I joined the group for a guided sightseeing tour on ATVs. Unfortunately, I had an accident and injured my hand. The injury will keep me sidelined for a few weeks. I will do everything I can to get back as quickly as possible so I can contribute to what we are building here in New York, end quote. Now, McKinney didn't specify the severity of the injury, though he did publicly admit that in all likelihood he will miss several weeks. There are other reports out there. By the way, the Giants are not confirming anything with respect to the specifics of the injury or any potential timeline, but multiple reports indicate that he is dealing with some type of a fracture on his hand. One way or another, he's going to be a spectator, Paul, out of the bye week, and this is a player that has played 100% of the defensive snaps. No one else other than McKinney has been on the field for every single one of the defensive snaps. We have seen how far he's come along since the unfortunate injury that sidelined him as a rookie so this is a significant loss I mean let's not try to beat around it this is a very versatile player that has been a good fit for Wink's system the good news is they have some young options and they have some other players but losing a guy that has been the staple of the defense is not the news you want to hear coming out of the bye week 
No, not at all, and I'm sure that Brian Dable uh, had to have a uh, very frustrated and probably disgusted reaction when, when he found out the information. The players, of course, are reporting back after their bye week today. They won't have their first practice until tomorrow as they get ready for the Houston Texans. But we've talked about McKinney's level of play. The guy's a Pro Bowl caliber player. Uh, there's really no way you can you can cut it. That That's a loss for this team. He's the guy who's been wearing the green dot. Now, I believe Julian Love is going to wind up wearing the green dot with McKinney out. That's just my suspicion. I don't know that, but I, I suspect that he will. Thank goodness that Love is no longer duct tape. He is now a damn good free safety. And his progression uh, this season is really going to help mitigate this loss for the Giants. Remember, he's a free safety. He's the center fielder in, in the pairing. McKinney has been more of the strong safety. Now, the Giants are in position to really kind of band-aid this thing because they've got Dane Belton, who, by the way, the defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, is absolutely enamored with. I mean, he can't say enough of good things about this rookie who has already progressed much further and quicker than anybody thought he would and has seen more and more snaps. So Belton, I suspect could be in line to be the starter. They've also got Jason Pinnock, who has obviously played enough of safety in his time with the Jets before he got here. Only and one defensive snap, though, with the Giants through five games. To this point, he's been a special teams player. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't really needed him back there because, remember, he's behind Belton on the depth chart. So, so I don't know if he moves up right away or does Landon Collins now get fully activated and does he become the next man up as the starting uh, strong safety, or maybe he just becomes the third safety in the package. They've also got Tony Jefferson with one week left on uh, injured reserve before he is eligible to come back, and he is more at this point in his career a strong safety than he is a free safety. So at least the Giants have some bodies here that they can work with. I I think in that regard, they're fortunate. It's not like they're crippled and it's like, okay, what do we do? We have to elevate, you know, some rookie from the practice squad. That's not the case. I, and, and it's fortunate also they're going up against Houston and Detroit with two home games on tap, teams that should be less of a challenge, shall we say, to the overall defense than maybe some of the other teams they'll be playing later on in the schedule. Well, yeah, based on their record, I would agree with you, though something tells me Wink is not necessarily selling that to his team. No. thinking that this maybe alleviates those concerns, given the fact that, once again, I look at it as McKinney, not so much the opponent, it's the fact that there's a guy that you've relied on who you've never had to take off the field. These other guys that are going to be filling in, you know, they have been in and out of the lineup. Collins just joined the team. He's only played 30 defensive snaps. Tony Jefferson, you mentioned, 36, and he's been hurt. And we'll see whether or not he will be designated to return. Remember, just because a player is put on IR doesn't mean they're absolutely going to return at some point this season. But the clock is ticking where he could return for Week 11 against Detroit. To me, Dane Belton makes the most sense because I think he has the most experience and the most snaps in this defense. So I would think he would be the first man up with yeah. Collins right behind him. And then Pinnock as a guy who... To your point, Paul, yeah, maybe now the opportunity is there and they decide to spread his wings and give him more of a defensive presence, but I think they look at him more as a special teamer 
just based on how they've utilized him. And I think Collins and Belton, based on their previous experience and Collins' versatility as somebody that can at least play down at the box area as a strong safety, I think he, to me, is a really good fit for what Wink would probably want from a player that has to step in for a guy like McKinney. Well, I think that's very likely, especially when you consider Houston's attack with Pierce as the front runner uh, for the rookie of the year amongst the NFL rushing leaders. Strong that is game. not yeah. a that you know that's not a team that's basing their offense off of the pass. They they want to run it. And they want Pierce to do everything he can to give them a chance to be in a ball game. So, yes, to me, Landon Collins coming off the uh, practice squad, whether it's well, what they'd probably do is give him his third activation because it's cheaper to activate him the third and final time this week as opposed to elevating him to the 53. That's a paperwork move, which would save them a few bucks given that they're cap-strapped. So I suspect that you'll see Collins get his third elevation this week and then the following week get put on the 53 uh, active roster. That would be my suspicion. And, you know, again, I think Love probably gets the green dot because he's played 92% of the snaps. Sure. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. He's been on the field almost as much as McKinney, and God knows he knows what's going on. Yeah, McKinney and Dory Jackson, as well as Julian Love. Those are the three guys that, if you look at the snap count, have been over 90% this season. So Love is the practical choice if McKinney's not going to be on the field because it's rare that you give it to a corner like a Dory Jackson, given Love sees more of the field as a safety. So I would agree with you there. I think he is somebody that Wink has an overwhelming amount of confidence, and Love has played very well. He's had a lot of timely plays. The interception against Baltimore, he helped stop Christian Kirk at the goal line. Something tells me that, to me, that's a no-brainer for Wink. I think that's the least of their concerns. I think it's more of, okay, how do we piece the puzzle together now to take on the assignments that McKinney did? One other thing that I want to throw out, you were talking about potential moves with Landon Collins. Once again, until we hear from Brian Dable tomorrow at the earliest, McKinney could be a candidate to go on IR. If he's going to miss a few weeks, Paul, I wouldn't necessarily rule that out. If they feel minimum four and they need to free up a roster spot, I understand there's financials involved, but I wouldn't rule that out. It's very possible they could place McKinney on IR and then bring him back later this season. I don't know that it does them any good, to be honest, because they've got enough of active bodies that they can choose from. Unless they feel they desperately need a body at another position, putting McKinney on IR doesn't really provide much fruit. I mean, they've got active safeties already available to them where they don't have to make that move if they don't want to. Well, I guess what I'm thinking of is if Shane Lemieux potentially comes back. You're going to need some flexibility there. You know, I'm looking at other positions and you're playing the numbers game, Paul, for the sake of the 53, you may need to free up a spot for him. Here's the other thing that I'm thinking of. Even though, to your point, they have a number of already active safeties on the roster, but Landon Collins, you'd have to make space for him. If Wink's philosophy is, well, one guy clearly is not going to play now 100% of the snaps, right? So if you're going to piecemeal it together, if you're going to now play three guys or even two, you're going to need more bodies. So that, to me, would then justify maybe needing to call upon an extra defensive back to having them available. Because see, when you had McKinney out, you knew, okay, hey, when he's active, he's playing 100% of the snaps. I'm not taking him off the field whether the opponent is running, 
whether they're passing, whether they're looking us the wrong way, whether they're looking us the right way. He's not coming off the field. Now players are coming off the field, whether they're a starting safety or not. So it does change the dynamics and the numbers game from a defensive personnel standpoint. A little bit, a little bit. I mean, depending upon how much confidence he has in either Belton or Collins, he may decide that, you know what? Belton's getting those snaps. That's it. There's no mix and match. I think he can handle it. And if if Wink feels that way and Belton's the full-time strong safety, uh, then Collins is the number three, or for that matter, vice versa. Maybe by next week, Collins comes up to the 53 and he becomes the full-time strong safety until McKinney is back. I mean, who knows exactly what they want to do in terms of splitting up those snaps, if at all. They may just give them to one of those guys. So, I don't know. I, I just don't think this is as devastating as, as maybe somebody might feel it is, especially considering at the moment they've got an extra wide receiver. Remember, you know, they, they just went and picked up the, the kid from Buffalo the other day. So they've got themselves an extra wide receiver. Uh, I would say to you, if somebody is going to you know, lose a roster spot, it could be one of those guys. Well, and that's why the numbers game comes into play. It's not so much how it impacts the defensive backs. It's how it impacts the wide receiver group, how it impacts the offensive line with other players also still potentially returning who may be on the active roster but are dealing with injuries. Kenny Galladay, for example, is one guy that comes to mind. If he comes back and maybe you can part ways with another wide receiver, okay, that gives you flexibility. You don't have to put anybody on IR. The player that Paul brought up, just so our audience understands, is Isaiah Hodgins, who was with the Buffalo Bills, so he has a connection to Brian Dable as well as Joe Shane, and he is a taller wide receiver at 6'3". He's listed at 201, a guy that... Had limited opportunities, has about four catches for over 40 yards in terms of his career. But here's another player that, once again, ties to Buffalo, and maybe he gets some opportunities, especially if a guy like Kenny Galladay is not ready to come back now that we're back from the bye. The only reason why I'm throwing that out is, Paul, when Joe Shane spoke to reporters, he had his press conference, the one player that he did note amongst all the other guys that were banged up, he said hopeful was the term he utilized Mm -hmm. about having him back for the Texans game coming up this weekend. Now remember this, Galladay was never put on IR. Sure, yeah. So he's on the act of 53. So regardless of whether or not he plays against Houston, they don't have to make a roster move if he is going to be in uniform that day which is why when they added Hodgson's, Hodgson's, to me, they now have an abundance of wide receivers. To me, that is the obvious position that's going to get sliced if they've got to put somebody on the 53. That, to me, it, it, it's, not even, it's not even up for debate. Well, and they also don't have to worry about calling up a guy from the practice squad with now a few other options clearly at that position, especially if Galladay comes back connected with the acquisition of Hodgins. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So the Xavier McKinney injury news, clearly the biggest headline as the Giants head back to prepare for the Houston Texans. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Falcons. One other thing that I think is worthy of bringing up, now that we are eight games into the season and we look at the outlook of the second half of the season, just worthy of noting who really has stood out, and I think it's worth saying who the offensive MVP is, the defensive MVP, and maybe the unsung hero of the team, if you want to word it that way, Paul. I think those three labels come to mind when you look at this team in the first half of the season. Let's start with the offensive MVP. And for all of these answers, you could clearly go in a variety of different directions. Mm -hmm. But given the fact that they've leaned so heavily on the rushing attack, and that has been the staple of this offense, and he's dealt with injuries in previous years, hard for me to give it to anybody other than Saquon Barkley, especially when you also look at statistically how much he's contributed to the amount of yardage that the Giants have on offense. I would very briefly mull Daniel Jones for his comeback performances. I would very briefly mull Andrew Thomas for being an absolute rock at left tackle. But it's hands down Saquon Barkley for me. So I would concur. You cannot, you cannot in any way, shape, or form overestimate what he has meant to this offense because there's a, there's a, a ripple effect of what Barkley does when he's able to be Saquon Barkley again. It just, he becomes that headache player that I always talk about that gives opposite coordinators a tremendous amount of pain as they try to deal with what you're going to do on offense. I want to read a few numbers just to give you an idea of how impactful he's been. Not that people I think are unaware of this, but he leads the team in carries rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. The next closest player in rushing yards is Daniel Jones, who Paul brought up, but Jones has 416 fewer rushing yards than Saquon. Then on top of that, he leads the team in receptions, and he's third in receiving yards, but he's just 43 yards behind Darius Slade in the leader. So that's another thing just to goes to show you that he could very well lead the team in receiving yards. And through eight weeks of the season, Barkley is second in the NFL in scrimmage yards, He's responsible for 38% of the team's total offensive yards. 38%. I mean, that's hard to overlook under the circumstances. And also the fact that they played so many close games, one-score contests, that you eliminate what Barkley has brought to the table, especially in games where they have not been able to throw the ball around and have a great deal of success through the air. I mean, he's put his stamp on this team and then some. And I think clearly you echo the sentiments based on what you just mentioned. I just wanted to read some of those numbers to fully support what we were talking about. Defensive MVP is far more interesting, Paul, because mm -hmm. I think you could go in a variety of different directions. Dexter Lawrence is somebody that comes to mind given his career year. I'll let you go first with this one because to me, I wouldn't go with the guy that necessarily has all the sacks and all the quarterback hits. I think there's another position that comes to mind. Well, you know, I think Dexter Lawrence is a guy that you have to talk about because he's certainly playing at a Pro Bowl caliber level at defensive tackle, so so he'd have to be in the conversation. I think you want to mold three guys whenever you ask a question like this. We gave you the three guys on offense that we would probably want to talk about. On defense, for me, you'd have to talk about Dexter Lawrence. You'd have to talk about Adore Jackson. And I really think, as crazy as this sounds... I might even talk about Julian Love over Xavier McKinney. And, you know, I'm probably going to go with Dory Jackson by a hair 
but uh, it's a tough it's a tough call. I think all three are very very deserving candidates. Yeah, I agree with you, and I would agree with you. Adori was going to be my choice, though with me it's two hairs, not one hair. So I think there's a little <laughs> bit more distance to build on your parallel. Here's another guy that has been a steady presence on the back end. And when you take into consideration knowing the team part of ways with James Bradbury, which immediately opened up the door for questions given the youth movement around Adori and the need for him to be that steady presence – to me, he's answered the call and then some. Second on the team in tackles and passes defense. Tied for the team lead in forced fumbles and fumble recoveries. We've seen him be a guy that could even aggressively put some pressure on the quarterback at times. I think that if you would have said, hey, by the time you get eight games in, you're not going to have James Bradbury. You're going to have mixing and matching, younger options. But you're going to know that any side of the field where you put a Dory Jackson on, you feel as if that is in very good hands. People would have taken that and run with that to the bank with huge smiles on their face. So Adoree Jackson, to me, for those very reasons, is why I give him the MVP ahead of both Dexter Lawrence and Julian Love, who belong in the conversation. Now, the last category I threw out, which I think is worthy, is unsung hero. Mm -hmm. Especially when Joe Shane threw out a great stat, Paul, that I want to highlight. And I don't know if anybody else brought it up because we had limited programs last week, but Amongst all the trade speculation and contract extensions, Shane mentioned that the Giants lead the NFL with the fact that they have 12 players who were not on the roster in September, meaning they came here after September from October 1st on and have contributed. That leads the NFL. So when I heard that, I was like, you know, that's not something that you can dismiss, especially when you take into consideration how many close games they played and that they're 6-2. and two. My unsung hero, when you take all of that into consideration, I'm going with Fabian Morrow. I think what he's been able to do in a limited amount of time, and somebody that was not here in camp, had no connections to Wink Martindale's scheme, he's another guy like a Dory where you take a step back and you're like, wow, stabilizing force. He's not just somebody that brings you comfort. He's actually showing up in the box score, especially in that Packers game in London when he was responsible for a few passes defense. So Morrow, to me, is the unsung hero of the first half. Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on how you define unsung. Is it a guy who doesn't get many headlines or doesn't get many accolades or doesn't and get many stats? And that's how I stats? define it, by the way. That's my yeah. interpretation. And, and and other people may define it differently. For me, the three people that I would probably consider, and I'm considering their status, not necessarily how popular they are with the fans or sure. how many stats they put up. I think the three guys for consideration are Jaheed Ward, Fabian Moreau, and Daniel Bellinger. All Those would good. be the three yeah. guys that I would think of. And to be honest with you, Lance, isn't it funny? Uh, I would probably lean towards Ward because I think he's made some more impactful plays. But at the same time, you made a really good case that Fabian Moreau came into this roster at a very late time with absolutely no connection to Wink Martindale whatsoever. And then to be thrust into the spot that he was thrust into uh, you kind of sold me that I'm going to take it away from Ward and I'm going to go to the cornerback. <laughs> well, no, Ward makes a really strong case for you too, and I would have wholeheartedly supported your cause. I just, once again, the Joe Shane stat jumped out to me. Now, in fairness, 
Morrow actually signed to the Giants practice squad in September, but he wasn't promoted to the active roster until the very last few days of September. So I don't know what Joe Shane's mathematics are in terms of how they classify those 12 players. I probably would like to find out if a guy doesn't come up to the active roster until the very end, does he get thrown into the 12? Was he on the practice squad? I don't know what his specifications were, but when I noticed when Moreau joined the active roster and that statement, I gave him the edge over Ward because also, as you noted, Ward has been with Wink. He's been in Baltimore. So yes. you would expect a guy like that to be able to make at least somewhat of a more notable impact. But no, Ward has put his stamp on this. And then I was going to say, you could also consider offensive players. So that's why I'm glad you threw out Bellinger. Unfortunately, right now he's sidelined with the eye injury. But he has been also a guy, especially at a position where they needed somebody given they didn't have necessarily a proven playmaker. So if anyone chose any of those three, you're not going out on an island where you're like, I mean, where are you pulling this name out of? I think every single one of them make a very strong case because of the optics as well as the statistics. Well, I mean, I think you really have to to look at it and, and again, qualify how you want to use the word unsung. But those three guys, to me, no matter what you do for the definition of the term, all three of those guys are going to have to be in your conversation. Uh, one other item, which is ungiants related, I just happened to catch this on Twitter. Jeff Saturday's coming out of the TV booth to be the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts because they fired Frank Reich this morning. Yep. And I was thinking to myself, well, the Giants don't play them until January. All right, the next to last game of the regular season. So they'll have themselves acclimated to whatever it is that they're going to do. But I just saw literally a few moments ago that Jeff Saturday yep. is going to be their interim head coach. Wow, that is a very interesting selection. Well, he's very close with Jim Ursay, And as you know, he's a longtime Indianapolis Colt. So when you tie those terms together, maybe not necessarily as startling. But you're right, he's been a staple with ESPN so I'm kind of surprised. I'm actually bringing up, I didn't look at this very carefully. I was expecting, I saw the F Frank Reich news before we came on. I did not see who they may have considered for interim head coach. What I'm a little bit baffled by, Paul, now that I think about it, why don't you make Gus Bradley the defensive coordinator <laughs> who was the former head coach of the Jaguars, the interim coach? That's a bit surprising to me. Why you would bring in a guy who's a broadcaster, who, once again, who has ties when you have an experienced guy on staff already. Just blown away by it. Yeah. Uh, that's all I can say. When I just saw Jeff Saturday pop up on the Colts' Twitter that he was getting the spot, I, I, I literally, I, I, I took a deep breath. I'm like, for, for real? For real? I mean, look, Jeff Saturday was a dynamic center, excellent player oh, yeah. for so Absolutely. many years, and a Colt through and through. In fact, if he's not in their ring of honor wall of fame or whatever it else that they do he to is in their the ring players. of honor i just he confirmed is. that yeah i would say he has to be i mean he's one of the all-time great colts especially since they moved to indy so i don't i don't besmirch besmirch him as a football guy but with zero zero coaching experience well he did coach in high school i'm reading up at a christian academy in georgia in okay case you want to Maybe look over That's, his resume with a fine I suppose that counts as a crumb, right? That's it's a, a crumb. crumb, yes. <laughs> it's not the NFL the last time I checked. Well, here's what I would do if I'm Jeff Saturday. Peyton Manning can be my offensive coordinator, okay? Reggie Wayne can coach my wide receivers. And yeah. <laughs> let me think, who could he bring in as his defensive guru from those Indianapolis Dwight Freeney. Teams? How about there Dwight Freeney, Lance? That could be an option. <laughs> Dwight Why Freeney, not? too. 
So, you know, he could go with a bunch of his former teammates. They're all close with the organization. They're all in the ring of honor. They're all close with Jim Irsay, and they could have a reunion for the second half of the season. Well, you know, I'm but sure you, but you are. Sam Ellinger would learn a lot if Manning was brought into the mix. Yeah, I, no doubt there. But, but you're, you're right, though, about Gus Bradley, because when you consider that he's the only guy, I think, on the staff who's had NFL head coaching experience, he must be thinking to himself, well, why didn't they just throw me in there? Well, I would be thinking the same thing. That's why I'm startled. I, once again, I wasn't necessarily thinking this because the news broke right as we were up against the start of the show. But I figured, all right, they're probably going to promote somebody internally. And now I'm looking at the Colts coaching staff closer, and I'm saying, how do you completely dismiss a guy with previous NFL head coaching experience? And so now Gus Bradley's coming in, and he's going to be taking direction from a guy, to your point, that only coached on the high school level. Here's another one. Wait a minute. How about this? Hold on. Do you know who What's- also is on the Colts staff, Paul? John nope. Fox is on the Colts staff. He's a senior defensive assistant. Is he really? Yes. So they have two guys with NFL head coaching experience on the I staff. I thought Foxy had retired. Remember, no. he was doing some TV work. Fox is listed as a senior defensive assistant on the Colts coaching staff. I'm looking I over their entire assistant group. Yeah. I had lost track of him. I did not know that he had joined that organization. Wow. Is that just this year? I believe so. I don't remember him being on staff much longer than that prior. Because to your point, he was doing some broadcasting work uh, with for Bristol. ESPN. Yeah. If memory serves me correctly. Yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah, he joined the Colts staff this year in 2022. You know, though, I'll be honest with you. I know Foxy pretty well. And although he's a football lifer as well, um, I don't think, you know, after the heart condition that he had many years ago, and I, he's got to be in his late 60s by now, maybe almost 70. I don't know necessarily. Yeah, I I don't know if Foxy would actually want that responsibility at this point. No. All things that I'm sure were probably taken into consideration. And Hey, for all we know, Paul, maybe Gus Bradley was offered the position and said, you know what? No, thanks, guys. I'm not interested. That could have very (laughs) well happened as well. Right? Maybe. At this point, and we'll open up the phone lines here in a second, but being an interim coach, let's face it, is a bit of a thankless job. In all likelihood, they're going to bring in a new sure. person the following season. You add more stress. The only thing, though, I was told, and it's funny, I recently had a conversation with Wade Phillips on my serious show when they parted ways in Carolina with Matt Rule, and Wade, he was an interim coach multiple times, Paul. So the one selling point that he did tell me, he goes, oh, the paycheck slightly increases. So that at least maybe makes you <laughs> sleep a little bit better at night. You do get a slight bump. Now that you're the interim head coach. So I said, you know what? Wait, I did not think about it from that standpoint. So maybe that is a strong enough selling point. Well, anyway, they play the Giants on January 1st. So I just thought I'd throw that out there as a matter of, uh, let's just say, farsighted interest. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Well, we'll have another storyline, I'm sure, to digest and now leading into that game in terms of we'll have a few more games to acknowledge Jeff Saturday's head coaching record. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. And oh, by the way, Reggie Wayne is already the wide receivers coach. So see, he doesn't have to do any recruiting Jeff Saturday. He's already Mm. internally associated with the team. Few reminders before we open up the lines. The Giants Huddle podcast. Make sure you go subscribe. 
Podcast features a rapid reaction right after each game with one of our analysts, an episode midweek featuring an interview with a national analyst, and then a game preview featuring a long-form interview with a current Giants player, an exclusive sit-down with Bob Papa and head coach Brian Dable, and an opponent preview of that week's opponent. Search for Giants Huddle on your favorite podcast platform, or you could listen on the Giants app or at Giants.com slash podcast. Also, don't miss Giants football at MetLife Stadium. Limited tickets are still available for all remaining home games, including a matchup with the Eagles. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to find your game this season and also secure your seat. And last but not least, the Giants official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. So if you can't find it, you probably have issues, not necessarily anybody else. All right, let's open up the lines. 201-939-4513. Steven is in Barcelona, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Steven? Oh, not much. I just wanted to, uh, talk, well, before, I wanted to talk about our coaching things, but you mentioned Wade Phillips. And to me, he was the MVP of the 2007 season for the Giants because he was the Cowboys coach. <laughs> well, I mean, there were a lot of things that went wrong for the Cowboys. I don't necessarily think the head coaching position was at the top of the list. But, hey, if you want to throw that as a relevant point, we will certainly accept that here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Yeah. But I, what I really wanted to talk about was some of this, some of the things we did, you know, I'm an old guy, so I, you know, back in the, in the late 50s, we had Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry, you know, on our staff, and we picked Allie Sherman, okay, which, and then I, I was reading, I didn't realize it, but in 59, Lombardi signed in 58 with the Packers, but in 59, the Mallory came back and tried to sign him, and he told him to go to hell, but... We, we, we missed out on those guys. That's not actually then, very accurate, just so you know. I, I, I don't want okay. you to do revisionist history, but go ahead. Okay. Okay. And, and, and that's why I'm asking you. This, you know, you read stuff. So. But I do, I do know that. I remember we got Ali Sherman. But the, the biggest thing that got me was when Parcells left, you know, from what I read, he had a heart condition. And then I remember Francesca was saying on, on the radio, you know, that Parcells wanted to come back. And George Young didn't want him. And I've hated George Young since then, so I'll leave it at that. And then we had Ray Hanley. But, I mean, I wanted to see what you guys say, because you guys obviously know a lot more than I do. So, you know, I'm sorry if I said something wrong there. No, all good, Stephen. We appreciate the phone call. Paul, if you want to address that, I mean, you were obviously covering the team during that time period. So, if anything, I think you could maybe add more so than I could. Well, there, there, there certainly was a, a uh, movement for Bill Parcells to potentially come back. But yes, as George Young had the say over football operations and the way the Giants contracts were worded in those days, the general manager had the final hammer to uh, decide who the head coach would be. So despite whatever movement or trade wins or rumor wins there were about Parcells potentially coming back, George Young had decided uh, Bill Parcells had left the Giants once before he did not believe in bringing somebody back for a second go-round. George was one of those guys who said, you can't go home again. And so he had decided that he was going to hire someone else, and he hired uh, Jim Fossil uh, to uh, start the 1997 season. And, of course, Fossil led the Giants to the NFC East Championship that year. So that's how that thing went. Uh, to hate George Young, he was a Hall of Fame front office executive who brought the Giants back from the uh, darkened depths of the miserable ages 
So I would say your hatred is very misguided. And uh, George Young, to me, is one of the beacons of this franchise's history. So uh, I think, uh, you know, you need to kind of refocus your, your mind on that. Uh, as far as uh, what happened with Lombardi, Lombardi was uh, given all kinds of power when he was named head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Giants, in, in, uh, at the time that Jim Lee Howell was retiring, Wellington Mara did reach out to Vince, asked the Packers, uh, could we talk to him? And we would like to know if he'd want to come back. At that point, Lombardi uh, had only been with the Packers for a very short time. And he had made a promise to those folks that he was going to build that franchise into a contender. And he told Wellington Mara at that time, it was not go to hell. It was simple. I made a commitment to the Packers. They've made a commitment to me. Uh, if I'm going to come back to the Giants, what's the situation? And the situation was he was going to be coach. He wasn't going to be personnel director. He wasn't going to be assistant GM or anything like that. He was not going to get a promotion. He was simply going to be head coach. It would be a lateral move. And Vince said, well, then I think I'm responsible to these Green Bay people. I gave them my word. I'm not going to skip out on them after just a cup of coffee. I, I need to follow through. And so that's what Vince did. He stayed. Ali Sherman got the Giants head coaching job and took them to three consecutive NFL championship games. They lost all three, but they did go to the championship game three years in a row. And we all know what Lombardi did after that. So, um, And Vince, Vince was like a brother to uh, Wellington Mara. So to uh, insinuate that there was any bad feelings or negativity from Vince towards the Giants or Wellington Mara, you could not be more off base. So I hope we, uh, we have corrected your history books there, sir. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number if you want to revisit the 1976 season, the 1983 season, and perform revisionist history. Feel free to give us a ring as we move forward here. on. Oh, Big they can Blue try, but I'll fix yes. it for them, Lance. Well, you know that's, that. I was just throwing that out considering I don't know how we even got off on a tangent on that topic. But He wanted to go there. Trying to know? focus on the 2022 season, if we have time, of course, to accommodate <laughs> that. It may be slightly inconvenient for the, the case of this program. John yep. is in Cape Cod, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, John? Thanks for taking the call, guys. I'll, I'll make this real quick because I'm an old, old, old Giants fan. There's a lot of versions of history, but the one I believe, and, and I heard it from Alex Webster, who was a Lombardi favorite, is that there was a verbal agreement with whoever was acting like the GM for the Packers that when Mara wanted Lombardi back in a couple of years, it was supposed to be a done deal, and then they reneged. And that's what I've read, and that's what I heard from one of the horses' mouths. I can only tell you that uh, in talking to Wellington Mara himself, uh, he did reach out to try to get Vince back. And, again, his understanding to me was that Vince felt committed to the Packers and didn't think it was right to pack up and leave on those folks after being there for a short time. That's, that's from – from Mr. Mara himself, so you okay, you can believe what you like. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that, Paul. Uh, with with regard to the to the Colts, uh, that owners turned that place into a three ring circus. It kind of reminds me of the Washington deal. They change head coaches like they change their socks, so they're going to be in a problem situation for a while. Well, I don't as, think that's as, very accurate. 
in terms but, of the but, amount of coaching changes that the Colts have had, Tony Dungy was there for a very long time. He was a staple. And Frank Reich, I mean, he had six different starting quarterbacks, and they had three winning records during those six seasons. And they've had a no. lot of problems. I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to say that the Colts have changed coaches as much as Washington and some of those other organizations. No, They've no. actually been pretty consistent. And to be honest, no, even they, Chuck Pagano had some success there. Yeah, Pagano had some success as well. And unfortunately had to deal with cancer, and then Bruce Arians took over for him for that one interim season. And unless I'm mistaken, didn't Jim Caldwell make the playoffs with them too? Caldwell, Caldwell made a Super Bowl. They lost to the yeah, Saints. That's that right. That's yeah. right. So, so I mean, I don't no, think that's they a have fair not. They have not exactly churned out coaches through the ringer now. Yeah, the Colts have been a very consistent organization. Okay, on to the Giants. Um, if he's on the active roster, it would be interesting to see if they can get Ellison Smith opposite Thibodeau until they get Ojolari back. Yeah, he's already on the act of 53. He was activated the, the last game against Seattle. Yeah, he made his debut. Yeah. Limited snaps. Interest, in, intriguing player. And Paul, Lance, Paul, both of your picks, I think, are hard to dispute. I personally, I like that Jihad Ward thing, though. I think that guy, since he stepped in, has really done a great job of sealing the edge on that giant defense. And he... You know, he pretty much is an unsung guy because a lot of players, I mean, a lot of fans don't even know who he is. Um, listen, I'm going to leave, but I want to leave you with one thing, and I'll throw this one at Paul since you have that perspective of history. Back in the day before the NFL got big into engaging the fans, whatever that means, I can remember when if you were in a hostile stadium, the quarterback could step back signal the ref that he couldn't hear the signals and they would warn the home team to quiet the crowd down. Correct. Now, whether you like it or don't like it, to me, it's Bush League to have fans impacting the game on the field. And for people to spend the kind of money they're spending today to go to a stadium and find and spend in four quarters screaming and banging on things, I just think it's really lame, and I'll leave you with that one. Thank you. All right, John. Appreciate the phone call. Well, two thoughts real quick for you, Lance. Number one, he is right. There was a time when, and I can't tell you when they stopped doing it, but there was a time when the quarterback could ask the official, hey, this is unrealistic. I'm not. We're not able to hear our signals, and the official would do that. He would actually warn the crowd. They stopped doing that many years ago. Maybe you know why, but but he's accurate in that description. No, I don't know the rationale behind why perhaps they started singing a different tune. I mean, I would argue the environment is part of sports. So fans are always going to shape a sporting event. I don't really think that's an issue. You go to a basketball arena, right? It's the same thing. I think all fans should be respectful to his point, And maybe he was getting to this, meaning you should be respectful for others. You sit around. But, I mean, as far as being passionate and making noise, I don't really think there's any crime or harm in that. I think that's the nature of sport. So I, to, for the officials to come out, make an announcement over the loudspeaker, hey, be quiet because the offense has to cooperate here. I mean, I don't foresee them ever going back to a situation like yeah, that. I, 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 well, let's put it this way. Whether or not I agree or disagree with the concept, he is right, though. They used to do that. 
they they would warn they would warn the fans and say, okay, you know, they give them one warning about keeping it down, and, and they they stopped doing it. And I can't tell you what year that was. I'm sorry, I, I don't remember, but it it has disappeared, uh, and whatever. Uh, as far as Jihad Ward. The interesting thing about Jihad Ward, and I will mention this story to you, an unnamed Giants player, a young player on the front seven of the defense. I was talking to him the other day, uh, last week it was, as a matter of fact, and I said, you know, Jihad Ward is is really something else, man. I mean, we call him the live wire. That's his nickname. He's an emotional and vocal leader on this defense. And I said, you know, for the life of me, I can't figure out Raiders, Colts, Ravens, Jaguars. I mean, how the hell does this guy keep get sent packing? Why is he bouncing around the league? I mean, we're talking about six teams. Why? Well, I guess five teams, right? It was five teams. And he goes, you know, I don't know, but he said, I'll tell you what. I know why Wink brought him here. Wink told us he was brought here for the locker room. He was brought here for his spark to bring us together as a team. To, to help the locker room uh, fa- form a, a, a tough fabric and, and to basically provide inspiration during practice to keep us going. Uh, he said, now, I don't know what they thought they were going to get out of him uh, on, on stats, but he said, I'm telling you, uh, he's turned out to be one hell of a player for us. So, you know, Wink, when he brought him in, obviously the uh, background he had with Baltimore, he understood the intangibles that Ward had. He's been more than that for the Giants this year. I looked up the crowd noise rule. That's what it was called. Oh, it was you did? Implemented okay. in 1989. There you go. And it was called Rule 4. It stated that if the home crowd made it difficult for the visiting team to call a play, the referee would stop the clock. He would then warn the crowd about excessive noise and ask the players on the field to encourage the crowd to tone it down. Mm-hmm. If repeated, warn the crowd a second time, ask the players on the field to encourage the crowd to tone it down. The referee would also advise the crowd that further excessive noise would result in a charge timeout to the home team. Yep. Third violation, charge the home team with a timeout. On subsequent excessive noise violations, charge the home team with a timeout. And if the home team was out of timeouts, penalize the home team for delay of game. That's what was written specifically in this rule. The reason why they got rid of it in 2007, to answer your question, that was long because, ago. yeah, it became impossible to enforce. The officials, meaning they would announce it to the crowd, and the crowd would be like, we're not listening to you. Enough. <laughs> so they basically, that's why they threw it out, to answer your question. But, well, on the surface, it sounds like almost something impossible to enforce. Sure. And then, I mean, unless at some point you basically, you punish the home team, forget about taking a timeout away from them. You know, you maybe take away field position, then maybe that gets the crowd to cooperate. But, I mean, good luck trying to get the crowd to be quiet at a home game. Well, the important thing, Lance, is that I did want to make sure that we were accurate with the caller. He was correct in bringing it up, and and I knew he was correct. I just didn't have the specifics on it. Well, there's the history and the background, the beauty of the Internet to specify and confirm things. But, I mean, just in response to the caller's opinion, I think that's part of sports environment. The fans make that up. So I wouldn't want to see any league govern against noise. I think good teams practice accordingly, right? The silent count and so forth, so they're better prepared. Seattle, where the Giants just went, there's a reason why that stadium has an advantage because of the noise factor. Just like in baseball, 
one ballpark, it's easier to hit a home run than the others. If they want every stadium to be identical, then there should be an NFL rule, an MLB rule, an NBA rule that you have requirements and how you build your stadiums and arenas. But clearly they don't have that. So if they're not going to have that rule, then I think it's in the hands of every team. If they can get an advantage, so be it. The interesting part about that, Lance, is you wonder why the NFL even tried to implement that rule and they had it in for several years before they gave up. Well, from what I read, funny you asked that, from what I read, there was complaints from head coaches. Don Shula and Dick Vermeil specifically were both screaming for penalties on one another in a game. And then that's what I think began to start the conversation to get officials more into trying to control the crowd. That was really the root of where it started. Good stuff. There you go. little history lesson. Here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. we got a lot Let's, of history in this show today. I mean, geez, I, <laughs> Louise, I don't think we've left any stone unturned when it's all said and done. Oh. Let's head back to the lines. Dave is in Connecticut joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Dave? Hi, guys. Great to talk to you again. Uh, Hi. Love your show. Um, appreciate you, you tuning in. What do you got? Um, I was wondering what your thoughts are. Uh, do you know if um, Kenny Galladay is healthy now, and uh, if so... In the second half of the season, do you guys feel that he could make a difference? Or, uh, and also, why, why uh, do you think he is he just not a good fit for the system? Or what was the stumbling block for him early in the season when he wasn't able to do much of anything for them? All right, Dave. Well, we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the question. We'll certainly address all of the elements in play there. Number one, we briefly mentioned this. Joe Shane said at his press conference before the bye that they're hopeful he could very well return this weekend against the Texans. He's still nursing that hamstring issue with respect to whether or not he's going to get back on the field. Until we see a practice report, Paul, it's all speculation, and we're not going to see a practice report until they start practicing tomorrow. And by the way, this week is resembling the week one schedule. He's actually giving the players Thursday off. They're not practicing Thursday, but they're Mm -hmm. going to practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. So this is going to mimic week one coming off of that mini break, Paul, when they had their final preseason game, and then essentially they had almost two weeks off. So he's doing the same thing, Brian Dable, in terms of the schedule. But as far as any definitive timeline and whether or not I could say with confidence Kenny Gallaudet is 100% healthy, till we see a practice report, how much he participates, there's really not much to read into that. You know, the interesting part with Galladay, and I must admit that it's puzzling to me, uh, it's one of the mysteries of this season as far as I'm concerned. Kenny Galladay played 77% of the snaps opening day in Tennessee, okay, and only caught two passes for 22 yards. Now, there are those people who say, you know what, we think the Kafka-Dable offense favors more smaller guys, quicker guys, guys who have the jukes and yards, uh, you know, get, getting open better and getting more separation and all this other stuff. I don't know if that's really it or not. I don't know. Is it is it that Galladay physically isn't right? Is it that Galladay mentally wasn't getting the playbook? Is it simply that he did not earn the snaps at practice because Dable's been very consistent in telling every player in that locker room, you will earn your snaps at practice, and that's what you're going to get on Sunday. I don't really have a concrete answer for anybody on this because since that opening day, 
Galladay has played two snaps, 24 snaps, and 27 snaps in the other three games he played during the first month of the season. And then they shut him down because of the injury. So I, I, don't, I don't know what to expect out of Kenny Galladay, but I know this. He's a two-time 1,000-yard receiver and a Pro Bowl receiver that put up some pretty damn good spectacular plays with the Detroit Lions when he was in Michigan. So I'm saying to myself, I'm not giving up on this guy. The giant receiving core is thin. They're not getting a ton of production. If Kenny Galladay is healthy enough to get back on the field, then damn it, get him back on the field, get him the football, and let's see if he's got anything to show for it. One thing I just want to correct myself, it's a knee issue for Kenny Galladay. I said hamstring. I yeah, so many injuries that I've been trying to keep track of with respect to wide receivers that they're all a blur coming out yes, of the they are. So I just want to make sure we clarify it's a knee issue, not a hamstring issue. But with respect to your point, yeah, I think part of the reason is the fluctuation in snap count that you mentioned. Remember, we were talking about this earlier in the season. People were calling up and they were asking, well, why does Kenny Gaudet go from X amount of snaps one game to another? And we were explaining Brian Dable and the coaching staff, they're applying it to the opponent. So... Kenny Galladay is just like Kadarius Tony early in the season. Some games Tony was involved heavily, other games you didn't really see him because they didn't get to those packages. So to answer the question about can Kenny Galladay make an impact in the second half of the season, how much does he get on the field, Paul? That to me is one factor that you were hitting on a bit. So that is a wild card. Then number two is how many targets does he get? How heavily involved when he's on the field does he get the ball thrown his way? Those two factors, until we see that, I can't tell you with 100% certainty he's coming back and he's all of a sudden going to tap back into his Lions production. You need to be on the field. You need to have opportunities. I will say this. Considering what they're working with, considering their numbers in the passing attack, anyone they can get back into the mix cannot hurt at this point because by infusing some new players in, and Kenny Galli essentially is a new player because he hasn't played much, I don't think you lose anything, meaning you don't put yourself in a negative position, Paul, as a result. You're not guaranteed instantaneous success, but you might as well see whether or not you get him some jump balls. He can make some big-time catches to move the chains. If it works, fantastic. If it doesn't, I don't think, once again, you're in a worser position given where the current status of the passing attack lies right now. Look at it this way. Over the course of the last three weeks, the Giants have 12 dropped passes. Three against Baltimore, six against Jacksonville, and three against Seattle. So this receiving core has certainly not maxed out in terms of their potential production. If Kenny Galladay can get back on the field, and what we know about him is that he's great with the contested catch, and he usually doesn't drop very many, I'm all for it. Get him out there and get him some passes, and let's see if the big guy can do something. Just to give you an idea... When you look at average yards per reception, which I think is a nice stat to look at, Darius Slayton is at 14 and a half. Now, based on volume, he leads the way. Then Tanner Hudson, actually, if you take away number of games, targets, he's the leader. He's averaging just over 16 yards per catch. But the reason I'm bringing up these numbers, Paul, is Kenny Galladay is at 11. So Kenny Galladay is third on the team. If you look at volume and you take you take into consideration pretty much status, I guess, because Lance, once again, for he his career, have a lot of games. he's over 16 yards a catch yeah. for his career. 
This guy's a legitimate big play NFL wide receiver. All right? Until he proves otherwise, and he hasn't been able to prove otherwise because he's barely been on the field, I'm still going to hold out hope that he can give them something. And that's more of a reason why I would argue he got nothing to lose at this point. They no. Did not, they did not make a big splash at the trade deadline, which is something that we pretty much said they probably wouldn't. So that's not a surprise because they were going to look at their internal options. Okay. Well, Kenny Galladay is the last man standing because they traded away Kadarius Tony. So hopefully he could get out there and they play him. And then when he's out there, he maximizes his snaps. Time will tell. Let's head back to the lines. Doug is in Glen Falls joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Doug? Hi. I got, I got this one for Paul because I'm frustrated right now. Who's going to take McKenney's place calling, calling the, the signals? Love or someone else? Julian I, I Love think it's got to be Julian Love. If, if, if it's me, that's the most logical choice. Now I can see why Martindale, he did that in summer camp, didn't he? He let him, he let him have the headset sometimes, Love. Well, he was allowing McKinney to wear it because that was a little bit different than previously what he worked with in Baltimore. But in Baltimore, he let some safeties handle the defensive calls, mm-hmm. too. So that wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily completely out of character. Right. Is that all you got, Doug? Well, it's funny he's talking about the trade dead- deadline. Um, I guess the, the what the Broncos wanted for Ju- Judy was – even too rich for the Cowboys because I read an article that they they were trying to pry him loose on it. They must have wanted at least a one or maybe two twos um, for Ju- for Jerry Jerry Judy or whatever the heck his name is. Um, well, yeah. you know the, the internet reported it was a second and a five. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but I'll just say this to you: if it was a two and a five, that's too steep for me. Well, obviously it was too steep for Dallas too. Well, but what does Dallas Thank have you. anything to do with the Giants, though? No, it doesn't. So, All right, I, mean, I think it's a moot point. I mean, at the end of the day, it's pure speculation. And the I Giants guess it was too to steep out. for anybody, wasn't it, yeah. Lance? Well, of nobody, course. Nobody made a move. move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also would argue and appreciate the call. I also, as I said before the trade deadline, I didn't understand why the Broncos would want to get rid of him anyway, given the fact that they're still mathematically in the hunt and Russell right. Wilson needs somebody to throw the ball to. And they ultimately held on to Jerry Judy, who also is still on his rookie contract. But I don't really think what other teams thought, even if there's validity behind that, has anything to do with what the Giants did. The Giants did what they thought was best for their team moving forward. And when Joe Shane spoke to the media prior to the bye week, he made it clear that they entertained phone calls. They had conversations. But he used the term about matching the value that they assigned a player, meaning when they go through free agents, they go through rookies, they give them grades, the scouting department, versus how the team that currently has that player, especially if they were somebody currently on a roster, values them. And if the value doesn't match up, then you say, hey, thanks, but no thanks, and you move on. If the value does match up and you can find the middle ground, then normally that leads to a trade being worked out. Based on what Joe Shane mentioned, the values didn't come anywhere near matching up, and that's why the Giants didn't pull the trigger on any trades as a result. Yeah, it's... Pretty Nothing much as say. simple as that. That's yeah. it. It's really very no, simple. I mean, that's the gist of it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the reason why I thought that it's important to just lay that out is because, I mean, I think you would agree with me, Paul. I really think even if you read stories online that three other teams were this close to making a trade for Jerry Judy, I still don't understand how at the end of the day that has anything to do with the Giants because in their scouting department, Paul, 
a team may value Jerry Judy a lot more than the Giants did or vice versa. Every scouting department is not identical in terms of how they value a player. So just because one team was close or they were out of the ballpark does not mean it has anything to do with where the Giants were in terms of their thinking. Now, the only receiver who did move at the trade deadline was Claypool, right? Yeah, he went to the Chicago Bears. He was the only one. And there were, what, five receivers that were were supposedly going to go? DJ Moore was rumored. And he didn't get moved from Carolina. There were a number of guys that were thrown out. But, you know, just because, Paul, a guy is thrown out, and we talked about this before the deadline, does not mean that that team was actually actively moving him. No, no. What what it does mean, though, is that whatever the assumed market was for these guys obviously did not materialize to any real degree, or more guys would have been moved. And I think what's also going to be interesting is, and this was a conversation that you and I, if you recall, had before the bye Let's see what level of impact some of these guys that were moved ultimately have. And I understand the wide receiver market, it's minute. It's only really Claypool. And the Bears' offense has looked better over the last few weeks. I think you got to give them credit. But Chase Claypool just made his Bears' debut. And yesterday, what they did against the Miami Dolphins, he was involved, but he wasn't that heavily involved. So right now, I wouldn't say, well, the arrival of Claypool has dramatically changed the outlook of the Mm -hmm. Bears' offense. You'd be hard-pressed once again to find a wide receiver in the season that shifted a team. You, and they gave up a high number two for him. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, time is going to tell. Just like when we overanalyze draft picks, right? Everybody wants to assign a grade, Paul, immediately. What do we say? You need three to four years yeah. to determine how the picks play out, whether or not they were a good fit. Same thing with trades. Can't all of a sudden say after three games, no, this was a bad move. Let's see what happens. Also, another indicator is, do they give a new contract to the player they acquired? For example, Bradley Chubb, not only did the Dolphins acquire him, they already worked out a long-term extension, which to me is critical when you bring on a player, and we were talking about this, who has an expiring deal. That's why the next team to watch is the Ravens with Roquan Smith, because he's in the same draft class as Bradley Chubb. Let's see if Baltimore could get a deal done either before the season or after the season because that, to me, makes the trade that much more attractive given the fact that they gave up a second-round pick. Speaking of which, and talking about extensions, it was GM Joe Shane of the Giants who said during his bi-week press conference that him and his front office staff would start mulling during the bye week the possibility of discussing potential extensions with maybe some of his own players, not knowing necessarily if those players want to talk about an extension, because as you always say, you need two to tango. And just because you may want to give a player an extension doesn't mean the player is going to take it. He could always bet on himself during the second half of the season and 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 go into the offseason and want to talk then. Or for that matter, maybe not be distracted. Shane's comment to us was that they would mull the possibility of some extensions and then he would think about it and by a week down the pike, he would not have any more talks about it because he did not necessarily want to become a distraction with contract talks with his players. So it'll be rather interesting to see this week if we've all got our radar out to see if any of these players on the Giants roster do get something coming their way. I would think 
based on what he said, and I don't think he gave a definitive date, but if we don't hear anything by the end of the day today, I would say it's probably highly unlikely that they work out an extension with any of the players because the key phrase that he utilized, which is what you said, he didn't want it to be a distraction to the player or the organization, he said, right. once the team comes back from by. So today, technically, you know, they're not working out. So by Tuesday, practice tomorrow, if nobody signs an extension, I would be very surprised if anything comes to fruition. Now, they could very well have had some productive talks, Paul, right, amongst yeah, themselves within sure. the organization sure. to better set themselves up for after the season. That could have very well taken place. And I'm sure that, that has taken place, and I'm sure they have a pretty strong idea of what direction they'd like to go in should everything remain equal and nothing dramatic happened to change their minds. They probably already have outlined in their own heads which guys they would like to do. And he was pressed specifically about Daniel Jones at the press conference, and his response was, it's only been nine weeks. That pretty much has been his response, that they still have nine more games to further assess Daniel Jones, as well as other critical players who are scheduled to hit the free agent market. So that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we now start to turn our attention to the Houston Texans, who the Giants will be hosting in Week 10. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. We are back up and running again on Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we will speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.